Well, we are continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're now in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And uh, let's pray before we hear from God's Word. Lord, we thank you that we can gather together, that we can hear your Word, that we can receive grace and truth and wisdom from you. Pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see and to hear, to understand, and to take it into our lives, all that you have for us today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And uh, if you know the Sermon on the Mount at all, you've probably cherished these verses. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And these are precious scriptures for us, and, and they really address right at our human struggle with anxiety. And uh, we all have reasons to worry about what's coming in the future, uh, but anxiety kind of, it takes us to that next level into the hypothetical what-ifs, worrying about not just what we know is coming, but what about but what might happen, what might come. You know, it's, it's one thing to know, okay, hey, it, 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 it sleeted and, and froze last night, so I should prepare myself to drive safely on a frozen road. And it's another thing to worry about, well, what if there's a, a, a freak unexpected ice storm and I get trapped in my car because my car gets frozen in? You know, where's this coming from, right? That, that is a what-if anxiety that's just kind of, you know, you're just imagining, well, what if this horrible thing happens? What if that doom happens? What if this catastrophe happens, you know, that we can play out these what-ifs and just be, that's why it says be anxious. It's talking about just continually being anxious, playing out these, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? And in this, these scriptures, Jesus teaches and he gives us good reasons to not be anxious. And it all comes down to this, when God is, in your, is your heavenly Father, 
you need not fear trouble. When God is your heavenly Father, you need not fear troubles. And these verses explain that in depth. Why? Why am I, you know, why is that so? Uh, but before we hear, hear the good news, the good promises of why you don't need to fear troubles, first we must recognize the futility of anxiety. We, we have to, it's important that you, that you recognize, you come to grips with how useless anxiety is. And verse 27 just spells it out for us. Worry cannot change anything for the better. Verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Like, as soon as you're asked that, I'm sure you, you know the answer. Oh, yeah, I, I can't add an hour, you know, by, by being anxious, by worrying about all these what-ifs. I'm not going to make the end of my life longer, and I'm not going to make today longer by worrying. I, I can't add a 25th hour to my day or a 26th hour. I wish I could. I wish there was some way <laughs> I could get an extra hour in the day, right? Uh, but worry and anxiety is not going to give me that hour. Of anything, it's going to take away an hour. It's going to waste an hour or more spending it, wasting it on anxiety. And so anxiety, it, it cannot change anything for the better, but it can change things for the worse. It can waste your time. It, can, it eats away at your mental health. It makes your mental health worse. But also talk about these what ifs. I mean, if you're really digging, spending time on these what ifs, what if this horrible thing happens or this happens? I mean, you're literally, your mind is actually triggering your body to go into that, to that fight or, or flight response. You're, you're, you're actually starting that, that, that adrenaline drive that you're starting these things. And your body is not meant to live in that all the time. I and mean, we have, there are people who, who train themselves to, to endure that for extended time. You know, military, law enforcement, we think about our, all our military, they are, they're trained to endure this for extended times. They tr put their bodies in peak physical fitness. They train their minds to endure stress so that they, yeah, so they can go into anxiety, uh, but they, without it overwhelming them, but instead they, they do what they need to do. Um, but even they, that's just for an extended time, but then they're supposed to come back to regular life. We're, we're not meant to live in anxiety. And even when our bodies, even when we make our bodies in peak physical fitness, anxiety eats away at your health. And if, so if anything, anxiety shortens your life. It doesn't, it can't add anything to it. And uh, this makes me think of my time in the military, and one of the things I learned while there, I learned about myself, one of my jobs on, on my, the second ship I served on was the, it's called the damage control assistant. You could think of it as the emergency preparedness response coordinator. I, was, I ran the fire department and the welding repair shop on the ship. I was not a welder, or I am not that sort of technical guy at all. I was, I was supposed to keep the big picture, look at, be in the control room, look at the picture of the ship and every compartment of the ship and say, okay, if we get a flood here, what do we do? If we get a fire over here, what do we do? What systems does that affect? How do I keep this ship afloat? I've only got three repair teams. What do I prioritize? You know, it, it, I, was, I managed all that. And I found I, I did really well there um, because I very naturally, because uh, I'm kind of, pessimistic and, and cynical, and I 
kind of expect things to go horribly wrong. <laughs> and and the, here's a job where that's a good thing, right? Oh, it's, here's one place where it's useful to imagine all the what ifs. What if this horrible thing goes wrong? Well, you know, when your job is emergency preparedness, then yeah, uh, imagining the horrible what ifs, that's actually can be constructive um, in that way. And so, yeah, it usually, you know, that can be constructive there. What if I do this? Okay, well, here's why I'll prepare. And, but what I found, what I learned, is that that is not a good way to live your life. Like, yes, okay, that's good when you're, that's your job on the ship while the ship's at sea. But you can't live your life that way. I, I found that being so naturally, my mind so naturally going into that, the other part of life where you need to, hey, I want, I want how do I dream and envision a better life for myself, for my family, a better tomorrow, and how do I make it happen? Well, if, if you naturally expect the worst, that, that can be hard. I, I find, found in my own mind, you know, when I start dreaming and envisioning, it's, okay, how am I gonna make this better? I immediately go in, okay, but what, what, what happens when it all burns down? How do I survive that, how, you know? <laughs> and my planning changes from how do I make the good thing happen to how do I survive when it burns down? Yeah. And it, this anxiety emergency mindset actually steals your present because you can't even enjoy what you have because you're just, well, what, how am I going to survive when I lose it all? You know? But it also steals, it starts to undermine and steal your ability to even dream and plan for a better tomorrow because I'm just going to lose it all. So. so all this to say, anxiety cannot change things for the better. I mean, there, there's some prepare, preparation, right, that we should wisely do. But anxiety, imagining all the what-ifs, cannot make things better. It, it, it's a futile thing. And it's not a burden you were meant to bear. Because even if you spent every second of your life imagining all the horrible what-ifs out there, and there's a whole bunch of time-traveling movies and shows that... that do they want to show this? How do you imagine all the horrible what-ifs and which one <laughs> that could be? Your brain, you could spend the whole rest of your life doing that and you just, you never run out. Your, your brain does not have the capacity to run through every what-if and prepare for every possible one. But neither, in your soul's not meant to bear that burden. It's not meant to bear that weight. God bears that weight. God keeps track of all the what-ifs and in his wisdom and love works all things together for the good of those who love him. You're not meant to bear that burden. And which gets us back to 34 there. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, so it, the anxiety about the future, the what ifs, leave that in God's hands. Take care of today's trouble. Deal with today. So this is just the biblical wisdom of, okay, hey, Make a plan, make preparations, and then act on them. And then when you've done what you have been given today to do, rest and turn over the, the results of the future into God's hands. And, and today's plans and preparations might mean looking about what you expect tomorrow to happen and preparing for that to go well. Yeah, that, you know, you, what you do today can involve making tomorrow better. But it doesn't, but that's making better tomorrow what you know is coming tomorrow. It doesn't involve, should not involve anxiously running through all the what ifs of what might go horribly wrong tomorrow. 
So there is, there is wisdom for how we're supposed to live each day. Do what you've been given to do and leave the what-ifs of the future in God's hands. Okay, maybe we've accepted that anxiety does not do any good, but how do you counter, how do you counter and push back against anxious thoughts? It's one thing to accept that, yeah, they don't do any good. Okay, but how do I push them out? I mean, when I'm dealing and experiencing anxiety, how do I, how do I respond to it? And Jesus here gives us good truths to take hold of, to, to live your life by, to let your heart really sink these in and, and accept these and embrace these to push back against anxiety. And the first is this. There is a creator God who provides for his creation and cares about even the littlest creatures. It's a simple thing, but that's the simple thing that Jesus presents to us, but it's the thing that our hearts really need to accept. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So he's saying here, yeah, if something's not alive, I could feed it all day, it's never gonna make it alive. Right? Life doesn't come from food. Food sustains life, it doesn't make something alive. <laughs> life has to be given from another living thing. You, your life came from your parents. Human, humanity creation's life came from God, the creator and life giver. Likewise, your body, I mean, yes, you can, you can train it and strengthen it and master skills, but a wardrobe of clothes does not make a body. You know, you can pile up clothes all day, it's never, never going to create a body. Likewise, food, you, know, you can feed your body, but, but no amount of food is going to make a body. And so God, Jesus here in his, in his teaching, is going from the greater to the lesser. Hey, if God has done this greater thing of giving you life and giving your body, which you, you didn't make, you were given those things, if he can give those things, he can certainly give the sustenance that life and body need. That those are little things compared to the great gift of, of life and body. So it's Jesus first here. God is creator and provider. And then verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into bards, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So Jesus here, he speaks of value, which therefore speaks to God's estimation of value, or therefore his love. So it's saying, God, if God values the birds enough that he cares about their welfare to ensure that more often than not they find provided in the world something to sustain them, if he cares about the little birds enough to provide a world where they have what they find, they find what they need, you are much more valuable than birds. God cares about your welfare and he loves you far more then he loved the birds. And then for 28 through 30. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? 
So here he's saying, again, it points to God's love and care, that he cares about even the littlest things of his creation. So we take the grass, which is one of the most temporary seasonal things. You know, here in Minnesota, it sprouts up quick and bright for May and June, and sometimes by the end of June, it's already scorched away. And we mow it, and we blow it away. Um, or in Israel's case, they didn't have force of wood to burn, so a lot of times, um, cut down grass, well, that was fuel for the fire. And so this is, this is one of the most consumable, disposable things, and Jesus points out, and yet it ha- is clothed with beautiful flowers. Like, like God cre- cared about his creation enough that even the littlest, most disposable thing, grass, he wanted it to have some beauty, and he clothed it, adorned it with flowers. So if God cares enough about disposable grass that he would give it flowers and make it that way that it would have flowers to cover it with beauty he, he will he cares far more about you that you are clothed that you will have what you need and uh, there's a quote from uh, martin luther commenting on this that also makes a very important point he says and i'm, I'm paraphrasing here he says none find what god has not put there no matter how hard he works. So whatever we find in this world is only there because God made it. And yes, we've come up with ingenious ways to combine things and to make new things, to create new clothing, to create computers, to create to make life better. But those are only possible because of the different things we find. You know, computers are only possible because those elements exist in the world and we figured out and we we were able to figure out how to mine them and process them to make these wonderful things. But they're only possible because of what is in the world. And what's in the world is what God created and provided. And so we have an inclination to take too much credit for what we have done. Because, yes, we, we work hard and we plant and we harvest, but we can only plant what God has provided and we can only harvest what God has caused to grow. And you can apply that to any other any other thing that we cultivate and produce. And so the bottom line of all this is there's a creator God who provides for his creation and cares about even the littlest creatures, which means he cares about you and he can create and provide for you. And secondly, Jesus wants us, you wants you to know your heavenly father knows your need. Verses 31 and 32. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So he he compares the Gentiles here, meaning pagans who worship other gods. And and at first it might look like, well, yeah, of course they seek food, shelter, and clothing. That's the basic necessities of life that everyone seeks. But he's referring here to the manner of their seeking, the heart of their seeking, their approach to how they approach their gods in asking for provision. Their whole religious practice is actually based in unbelief. They don't expect that their gods care or that their gods even know about their needs or that their gods are even listening. And so their whole approach to religion is to, one, make sure, get the God's attention with their religious practice and their prayers and their offerings, to make sure their gods hear their prayers and then offering their prayers so that their gods know what they need. 
and then trying to motivate those gods to be friendly towards them with their offerings and with their givings and with all their things, trying to win the affection and motivation of their gods to provide them with good things. So the whole, their whole pagan Gentile practice is based in unbelief. They don't believe that their gods care or know or are even listening. And Jesus contrasts this with totally different of the one true living creator God who has revealed himself to us in scripture, who tells us that he loves us and that he knows your need before you even ask. And he is already preparing things for you. And he says he is your, your heavenly father knows your need. It's a very different relationship than the Gentiles and the pagans. He speaks of the creator God as your heavenly father. And so a question for every person is, is God your heavenly father? And how is he your heavenly father? And scripture tells us, John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So Jesus is the grace of God through which we come to him that he may be our heavenly father. And this is made very clear in, in the first chapter of John, verses 12 and 13. But to, all, but to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So this here talks about why Jesus came, why he was born as a baby, one of, one of us, one of humanity, why he came to us so that he might bring us to God, so that he might bring God to us, the grace of God to us, so that we could have a spiritual rebirth, be born of God so that God would truly be your heavenly father. And so that would be your new relationship with him. So God, Jesus then is the one who brings us the grace and the provision and the love of God. It's through Jesus that we come to God and he becomes your heavenly father. And it's through Jesus that the grace and blessing and provision of God comes to you. So when God is your heavenly father, you need not fear troubles because he is the creator who loves and provides for his creation, especially for his children. And he knows your needs and he's preparing all things for your daily need and also for your hour of trouble. And he will be with you in your hour of trouble. And that provision here might not be what you asked for or what you expected in that hour of trouble. I've I have been there <laughs> in troubles where my prayer was not answered the way I expected. But looking back, I know he absolutely was with me, right alongside me in that hour. And we can trust that God who has created all things, who, who can see all the what ifs, and who, who has perfect wisdom and love, he knows what is best for you and he can work out all things for the good of all his creation. And now we get to verse 33, the, the most well-known verse of this section. And it's important to point out that without grace, without Jesus, this verse is a crushing burden. 
Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Without grace, without Jesus, this is a crushing burden because it it, it sounds like an ought. Well, I ought to put God first or I must put him first so that all these things will be added to me. And it's what our our human heart in in our sinfulness resents God for this. I mean, God, no, these are my essentials. I need food, clothing, and shelter just to live. I mean, you're saying you need to be a higher priority to me. I need to seek you before I even seek my bread and my clothing and my shelter? Yes, that is exactly what the verse is saying. You must seek him first. And that is a horrible burden that that the heart resents, and that, that even if a, a person sincerely tried this and attempted this, said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put God first in everything. They could not do it. There's, there's no person other than Jesus Christ himself who, who sincerely attempting to put God first in everything actually did it so that God would, would say, here, here's one who has done it. Here, I'm giving you all things. But... When this verse is read in the grace of Jesus, it is only gospel promise. It's nothing but promise. Because the eyes of faith see, yeah, God is what I need above all. I I do need him above above all these other things. So seeking him first is not a burden. It's not an ought to. It's It's a gracious invitation to have to be part of God, to, for him to be your heavenly father, for you to have all his blessing and grace brought to you. The, these, this word in Jesus, in the grace, is an invitation to join the kingdom, to, to be part of the kingdom, to enter fellowship with God by Jesus, by faith in Jesus. And it's saying, seek the righteousness, but don't seek, no, don't seek your own righteousness, seek the righteousness that is given to you through Jesus. Seek Jesus' righteousness given to you by grace. And it's an invitation to give up your ways, which as we showed, cannot add an hour to your life, and instead submit to his ways, the way that leads to life, and to follow Jesus, because he is the one who is the way and the truth and the life. And then as you are part of his kingdom and you receive his righteousness, it's an invitation to be an instrument of his kingdom and, and his righteousness so that you can spread God's grace and his blessing to others. So faith sees the grace promised in this verse. Every good thing there is is created by God and is provided by God. And it's, part, it's here in the kingdom from God. And it's only properly enjoyed in fellowship with God who made it, who himself is the blessing. So to seek him first, it's not this burden of an ought. It is an invitation to stop striving and to let the grace of God rule you and cover you and bless you and provide for you. Because in his kingdom, He says, all this is added to you by grace in Jesus. And so the the summary of all of this is that the love of God in Jesus Christ is the answer 
to anxiety. And my hope and my wish for you in this new year ahead is that you would find this in Jesus in, in deeper and greater ways in every part of your life. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the grace that you give to us in Jesus Christ, that through him we may be your children, that you are our Heavenly Father, and that your blessings and provision and love and care come to us through him. And may we learn through him to strengthen our mind and heart against every anxiety, that through these truths in him, every anxiety that may come upon us, its power is crippled, and useless, nothing against you. And so pray that these truths would strengthen our hearts in any anxious thought we may encounter. And pray that you would turn our hearts in faith to see your grace and love for us. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.